0: You know David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be.
2: We sure are, and you know we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure.
0: We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown, and we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because, well, great sex matters, and we all deserve it.
2: We sure do. So. Do you sometimes feel uncomfortable in your relationship or in the bedroom? Does fear, shame, or embarrassment ever get in the way of your pleasure? Do you retreat emotionally or lash out when those feelings show up?
0: On today's show, we're going to dive deep into the hot topic of emotional agility, which uses mindfulness and communication skills to help work through the discomfort instead of appeasing, ignoring, or making jokes about the situation. Dealing with these emotions helps build stronger and more secure relationships.
2: Alrighty, So um, before we get into the show, as we do every week, let me tell you about our top waterproof blanket, which now comes in four reversible colors because nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot, wet spot and squirt is hot until it's not. So if you're fed up with having to sleep in that wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak proof and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets.
0: From messy massage oils, silicone lubes and all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And now we have a new sexy pink and blue reversible blanket, both colors representing the ribbons supporting breast cancer and prostate cancer. And to support the cause, we'll donate $5 from each blanket sold to a charity that helps cancer survivors get back in the sack, because great sex matters, and cancer survivors deserve it too.
2: And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply go to Amazon and search for Top Waterproof Blanket, that's T-O-P, waterproof blanket, and order yours today. Great sex starts now, and so does today's show. You know we're Carol and David, this is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we're so excited to welcome today's special guest.
0: Dr. Jen Gonzalez is a sociologist, intimacy speaker, sex coach, and author of the book From Madness to Mindfulness, Reinventing Sex for Women.
2: Alrighty, Dr. Jen, I know you've been traveling the world, you have a busy schedule, so we appreciate you taking time and being here with us today.
1: Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I think this is my third time yep. on your show. Yeah, I think. Right. Exactly. Yeah, we so, are excited to have you me. back.
0: <laughs> All the way <laughs> from you. San Diego, no doubt.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so why don't you just remind us a little bit about what you do in this whole world of sexuality and um, and what you've been up to.
1: Yeah. Well, like like you folks were saying, um, you know, I'm a sociologist by education, um, and with a specialty in sex and relationships. And um, I I apply that uh, through being a relationship and intimacy coach with a private practice and um, I've authored the book. I'm a podcaster. Um, I've done two TEDx talks and then my real like big passion is traveling the world and speaking on these topics So most recently I've been all around the United States and then last month. I was also in Costa Rica So I actually just got an email this morning asking me if I can come to Zurich in January Darn! So um, I know and I, I'm like yes, I can
2: <laughs> so, so let me get this right a Southern California girl is gonna go in the middle of January to Zurich where it's winter <laughs>
1: Well, I am originally a Philly girl. Oh, okay. <laughs> Suburbs of Philly. Um, that's where I grew up. I went to grad school in Albany, New York, uh, which is how I ended up in San Diego Smart 19 girl. years ago because <laughs> yeah. I was done with it. So that is one of the first things I looked up. I was like, how cold is it in Zurich yeah. in January? <laughs> it will be crisp, so,
0: but it'll be yeah, fine. Yeah. It'll still be very yeah, nice. Not now, too now bad. Jen,
2: we, we know so, you are yeah. one of the gurus in the world of sexuality, but, you know, Growing up, was this one of your passions that you wanted to get into and teach and tell people all about what, you know, they don't know that about sexuality?
1: I mean, certainly not, not as a like kid or teenager. I was raised Catholic in a small town in Pennsylvania, outside Philadelphia. We did not talk about these topics. I never really got a sex talk or as we you know, want them to be ongoing talks, didn't really get any of them, um, but was raised in an incredibly loving family, uh, gratefully. So no, we never talked about these things. They were taboo, they were shameful. I never learned about the clitoris. I never learned about women's desire, none of it, until I went to college and then started taking sociology classes, social psychology classes, uh, human sexuality. And then uh, when I was about 19 or 20 i joined the sexual health peer educators on campus and so that's how i really dove in at this point this is like 30 years ago and uh was fascinated by how people make decisions around sex or don't make decisions Mm -hmm. (laughs) what topics they talk about which ones they don't how how we can numb ourselves with alcohol um you know, where our fear and shame are around these topics, and then gender differences and how we're raised around these topics. So I was certainly not not raised with this raised with any comfort around it. But then, you know, when I started getting more formal education, that's what I started seeking out.
0: And how did your family support you as you were changing your point of view?
1: Super lucky because I was I was obnoxious about it. (laughs) In that, you know, I came home Thanksgiving dinner and we've got I've got the grandparents my parents and the grandparents and cousin and my sister you know we'll have like 12 people around the table and my uncle and his girlfriend and I'm like pulling out the condom demonstration (laughs) to do on like a bottle of coke something like that and I was like this is important we talk about these things so I and somehow like my parents were just they were they had to have been uncomfortable Um, But they were lovely. And I think the bigger picture is, one, they saw I was passionate about something. Two, that I was learning new skills and I was learning public speaking skills. And three, I was genuinely helping people Mm -hmm. around a topic that mattered. And that fundamentally has always been their view in terms of supporting me on a rather unusual path in Mm -hmm. life. Um, And they've been fantastic. They're my biggest fans by far.
2: Now, while really you, while you were in university and learning about all these different areas of sexuality, were you also exploring your own sexuality while you were learning?
1: I was. I was. Um, I was a late bloomer, um, but um, and and like cautious in terms of you know risk of getting pregnant and or of getting STDs or STIs. But I had a boyfriend from age about. 17, from about age 17 to, t- to 24, I had, you know, four different monogamous boyfriends. So yes, there was a lot of, <laughs> there was a lot of exploration. And then once I started teaching on these topics, then there really was, we had, we had a, me and like a boyfriend and another male friend, like we would talk about masturbation all the time and they took me to a store to get my first vibrator. And, uh, yeah. Now, there was a lot of, there was a lot of creativity and role playing and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, which I think suited me really well for then becoming a sex and relationship coach and helping people think outside the box and being creative. Um, in our ever-changing bodies and lives. So, so I think one yeah. of the things
0: that reasons why people don't talk about sex as much is we don't have such a great vocabulary when it comes to sex. Maybe yes. things that we've learned on porn or on some TV shows. But you are actually learning the vocabulary and, and comfortable in saying the words and yes. talking about it, which is a great role model for your friends and peers. Yeah. And yeah, that's yeah, very yeah. cool.
1: And the timing was it, it was interesting timing wise because this was like the early to mid 90s. When um, HIV Mm -hmm. and AIDS was still a massive scare and um, folks realized like, oh, we need to protect our college students also around this. So that was around the time I got into sexual health education. So everything was about what's called, quote unquote, outer course, Mm -hmm. you know, how to how to how to have sexual play and activity And mutual masturbation and uh, how do you have a really good time sexually, but be reducing the exchange of fluids Mm -hmm. that could potentially put you at risk for HIV or other STDs or STIs. So like that creativity piece was like literally when I'm just, you know, stepping into my own sexual exploration, what what was programmed into my brain of how to view sex mm-hmm. and to think outside the box mm-hmm. like that.
0: And it was such a huge topic at the time that HIV was like, that's what people talked about. So it actually brought the topic yeah. of sex into the forefront in, a, in yeah. a cautious way, but it still brought it out. People still did talk about it.
1: Yeah, there was definitely a lot of fear, mm-hmm. you know, and um, but there was also like, hey, we can't stay silent because, mm-hmm. you know, there was a whole silence equals death type of thing. Like mm-hmm. we need to be talking about these topics. Um, we need to normalize these topics. Um, Yeah, we could be both responsible and fun and creative at the same time.
2: Right. Well, speaking about trending topics and relevant topics, we all know, well, we don't know, but May is Masturbation (laughs) Month. You were talking about self-pleasuring. You've done (laughs) a little documentary about masturbation, self-pleasuring called Sticky, a self-love story. What was that all about?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was asked to be an expert on that. This was years ago. Um, and then finally, I can't remember if the documentary came out in 2014 or 2016. Um, but yeah, it's such a great name, Sticky Self-Love <laughs> Story. Uh, <laughs> and it's the first documentary out there looking at masturbation, the history of it, looking at religious perspectives on it, um, media perspectives, and why why it's so shamed and so taboo of something like that otherwise feels good and is good for us. Um, and, and, and then how that plays out for many folks. So yeah, so I was one of the experts interviewed for that, uh, exploring this topic. Uh, there were folks who like, were actually like masturbating on video. I was not one of those people. (laughs) I was just talking. I was not showing (laughs) anything. Because sometimes when, I I mean, not in this context, but in other contexts, or if I go to a university, I was like, oh, I was an expert in a masturbation documentary. (laughs) I know people are like, "Mm." I was like, oh, no, no, no. Now I'm like, close stay done. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But you know, I find fascinating is that even today, after all this time, um, you put out your documentary and you, we talked about it since the AIDS scare that long ago. And we're still having to tell Tell people to normalize this discussion. How, how can we it's can't insane. get it through?
1: Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> I know because if you look at, it, especially with the the sexual revolution in the late '60s and the '70s, um, and 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 so so many advancements around women's rights and, and civil uh, civil rights, and but then I don't know. We have interesting backlashes, and I would say, I mean, our country has become more religious. In a lot of ways, the United States have always been a quite religious country um, and it doesn't those things seem to butt heads. You know, religious freedom seems to butt heads with sexual, um, freedom.
2: sexual openness. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. S- yeah uh, with with uh, more conservative religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we still. I mean, even the fact that, you know, with social media, there's so many great resources for sex education and body positivity and overcoming shame and helping your relationship and mental health. There's so much out there. But on the same, you know, on the flip side, it's still because it's social media and it's so visually driven. We're still then putting so much emphasis on looking good and looking right and performing and feeling judged by others and internalizing all of that. So. We, we're talking more and we have great resources around these topics but I think but we're even more um, sensitive I think we have less it. skills yeah more sensitive about it and less skills in actual vulnerability yeah and really you know, like letting our walls of, of performance uh, down and letting folks see who we really are I think is, is even scarier mm-hmm. so it's a weird we've advanced sexually but I don't know if we have emotionally.
0: Maybe the next sociology courses that you'd want to make or give Mm -hmm. would be on those topics.
1: (laughs) Oh, it would be amazing. I know. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of interesting history. Things are changing so fast now, too. They are. Go ahead, David.
2: You know, a a lot of shows that we do, we just did one all about orgies and how to put together an orgy. And today's show is (laughs) going to be a lot about um, couples and individuals. And I, I want to stay on that masturbation, self-pleasuring topic for a second. And I, I want to talk about the, the healthiness in a personal perspective and a couple's perspective which mutual, with mutual masturbation and self-pleasuring and how healthy and important it is for a person um, um, to do it and to learn about it so they can teach their partner what they like or don't like.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that is there's, – there's a lot of potential benefits of masturbation. And one of them is ideally – You are, you know, paying attention to what feels good and how it feels good and and learning your body, especially if you're younger and you're new to learning about your body and that you're able to do that. And then the more you know yourself, the more you know how to ask for what you like, the more comfort you get with yourself, the more you normalize feeling sexual and looking at your genitals and touching yourself like the more the less shame we have around all of these topics and the more knowledge we have. Um, the better we're able to meet people it, you know, in, in true intimacy, again, of letting our walls down and being vulnerable with them. Um, right. And then if we're masturbating in front of somebody, which it can both be incredibly vulnerable and incredibly hot mm-hmm. um, for us and for the person watching. It's often quite hot. It can be particularly vulnerable for us doing it. I mean, the only problem is to make sure you're not getting into like a, you know, performance anxiety in your head of like, because I always tell folks, I was like, make sure your partner has no expectations. Tell him, you're like, I might not come. You're watching me, but you could see how I touch myself. You could see what feels good. You know, don't put pressure on yourself to have her perform. Uh, But that could be, I mean, it's, it's hot. It's, it's, it's intimacy building in how authentic and vulnerable it is. Um, Then they can ask questions also, whether during or afterwards. Um, I think that could be really powerful. I also think, you know, if you're in a long term relationship and you're, you know, it's almost impossible for couples to be matched in terms of desire in a long term relationship, like that's just normal, you have a higher desire person and a lower desire person. If you're the lower desire partner, it can be really helpful to do what I call priming your own pump and and touch yourself and masturbate doesn't even have to be the point to climax at all. But to Get your body revved up in a sexual way, start imagining fantasies, read some erotica, listen to the audio stories, kind of prime your own pump on your own and then to be able to get that energy going to bring to your partner.
2: And on the other end of that, I mean, women have this this beautiful ability to have multiple orgasms where after a man has come, he needs half an hour an hour to regenerate or a couple days and depending, on age. Couple days, <laughs> depending <laughs> days. on age exactly yeah.
1: and, <laughs> and one,
2: one of the things that carol and i love doing is we have a great sexual session uh she might have an orgasm or two and then i finally come and then she likes taking out a toy and she calls it popping off a couple more and i sit there and i, I play with her tits so oh you can good. just watch dudes. that's okay i know yeah yeah, yeah i know well.
1: no it's love and i i i'm so happy you share details like that because i think people don't re- like i don't know we have we just have so many scripts in our head of what a sexual encounter needs to look like mm-hmm. and to realize it can look any way you and your partner want to create it you can have orgasms you cannot you can have multiple orgasms you can have them now you can have them later you could do them together you could watch you could take a nap you can touch yourself you can eat in between <laughs> like there's just um truly endless variety and i think um you know, we think it needs to be in a scripted way and then we just follow those scripts instead of realizing. So of I love you guys sharing that.
0: Of course, it's always better when you don't have a script. If you do yeah. want to add a little spice just by yeah. having some spontaneity, even if you have a planned date and you're having sex on a you know, schedule, that's fine too. Yeah. But just change it up a little bit and not have that sc- such a strong script that you have to stick to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I- all four, you know, and I work with couples and they're like, you know, there's often and then and they're not having as much sex as one of them wants or both of them want. And then I'm like, okay, well, can we look about putting things into the schedule? And There's usually one that gives pushback on that. And I was like, because they want it to happen spontaneously. I was like, is it happening spontaneously already? No. You know, the proof is in the pudding. So just like anything else, whether it's, you know, an important doctor's meeting or a meeting with your board of directors or your, your child's teacher, you put it in the calendar. But you don't have to script out, yeah. like you just said, Carol, what yeah. that time looks like. Block it off for what I call intimacy time, or something I like to call happy naked fun time, and like, <laughs> like block off. <laughs> block it off. Keep your phones out of the room. You know, ideally you're not getting interrupted by children or by pets, and just give yourself like time, space away from everything else to let things unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and that does not have to be scripted at all. It's better if it's not.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the last time we spoke to, you, I think you, uh, talked to us about your book from madness yeah. to mindfulness. And I know mindfulness is one of the very big topics that you do talk about. Why don't yeah. you just remind everybody what is mindfulness and, and how mindfulness can help you embody pleasure?
1: Yeah. So uh, mindfulness at its core is present moment awareness, uh, without judgment. So it's the idea of, of noticing, you know, noticing that so often we're stuck in the past in our thoughts or we're projecting into the future or worried that we're not in this present moment. And so mindfulness is about studying with curiosity, gentle curiosity, what what your thoughts are, what your emotions are and where you're feeling those emotions inside your body. Um, and then also attuning to what's happening around you and to the people around you. And so it's being curious and studying that and noticing those things and then ideally not adding judgment to them, having a neutral observation of what's going on. Um, I think it's nice to even take it to the point of being having uh, bringing compassion to it and feeling kindness towards yourself and kindness towards others as you're observing these things. And what that gives us access to is, I mean, all of us have been programmed by our society and our past experiences in one way or another and by the media, And of how we feel about sex and how we feel about our bodies and um, and, uh, you know, how we communicate and what feels shameful and what feels embarrassing or what topics are taboo. And we all have reactions that we don't necessarily have control over. So mindfulness and studying at this level of um, and not judging and being kind to yourself and noticing be like, oh, wow, every time my partner you know, brings up that it's been a while since we've had sex, I get reactive, you know, and I either I either, you know, yell at them, or I change the topic, or I just kind of retreat emotionally, and realize like, Oh, wow, yeah, the story I'm telling myself is that I'm not enough for my partner, my partner's disappointed in me. And like those things, then we often feel bad inside of us. And then we don't behave well. And so mindfulness, when we could start studying these patterns and these triggers, we now have choice where we didn't have choice before. And that to me is the epitome of empowerment. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not easy. Like, it's hard. Like, there's a reason these patterns are in place, because we don't want to sit with these uncomfortable, you know, narratives in our head and, and how they feel to us. And, you know, shame and embarrassment, disappointment, like sadness, those things feel bad. So mindfulness is learning, you know, it takes a lot of courage, but training ourselves to be able to stay present with those um, and then make new choices.
0: And and that also by doing those kind of studies internally, you can also increase your pleasure when you're having sex because you're focusing not on the negative things that are happening, but also yes. on the, the nice positive pleasure points.
1: Yeah. So but, but in, in two ways, both um, emotionally And relationally and physically, actually, yeah. So there's great research by Lori Brado out of uh, University of uh, British Columbia um, about how the more, like, especially there's a lot of research on women. The more that we are attuned to our bodies and the nuances of feelings inside our bodies, the better we're able to attune to the sensations of desire, to where we actually are feeling pleasure. And then to be able to focus on those and help those um, blossom. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's strongly in terms of desire and pleasure, and also in terms of self acceptance and, um, and relationship skills and being able to communicate more effectively.
0: Now, I'm sure it's much better when both partners are practicing mindfulness while they're having sex. But, but what if that's hard for one? Should we be encouraging it?
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think it's both paying attention to what's happening inside of you and then also attuning to your partner. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people might be really good at one or struggle with the other or not be great at both. So, I mean, I think we always have to start with ourselves because the more we're able to attune to our thoughts and our feelings uh, inside of us, um, we're better able to attune to others. So I do think we can all, we all have, our brains all have the capacity to learn more about these topics. And I guess
2: guess that word we use about brain traffic, that gets in the way of being able to be mindful and and present in a situation.
1: Yeah. 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 And that's another way that it's really helpful in a sexual situation, particularly if you're worried about how your body looks or you're afraid of being judged or you have performance concerns or you're afraid you're not going to be able to experience orgasm. All of those things create anxiety. Um, and create distance between us and our partners, and also just literally interfere with being able to feel desire and arousal and pleasure. So um, mindfulness can train, we could train ourselves to notice those distractions and then make a new choice instead of like going down the rabbit hole with them to, to bring yourself back to your five senses and to anchor yourself in the moment or have a little mantra for yourself to help anchor yourself in the moment. And that's the process over and over again. It is just a retraining of our brains to stay present in the moment and focus on where we want them to focus and being kind to ourselves in the process.
0: And I don't think it's a problem when David reminds me to get back present again. He sometimes notices when I wander. Oh, and I think it's okay perfect. that yeah, that he he reminds oh. me that, uh, okay, we're here. Focus on me. <laughs> no, but, yeah. but, but yeah. In, in,
2: in theory... in in practice, in reality, like I could be going down on Carol, licking her pussy, playing, giving her a pussy massage and I look up and and her eyes are like totally somewhere else and I say, babe, I need you to focus on me, (laughs) listen to the nice music in the room, smell the aromatherapy and and, and feel what I'm doing and all of a sudden her clit just becomes erect and the the plumpness Ah, of of the vulva and and everything comes back because she does have a tendency to wander. Mm
1: -hmm. That's, Fantastic. I mean, and it's normal to get distracted (laughs) in a sexual encounter. That's not abnormal at all. And so your ability to attune to her and see it, David, is amazing and that you have figured out a way to communicate it. Because sometimes people would be like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm here. A lot of times people get defensive. Yeah. You know, if you're to say that I'm present with you or whatever, and you're like, okay, I know you're not. But then that, you know, that can ruin the mood and the moment. And so that you're able to, you're able to see it, David. And then Carol, you're able to be like, oh, yeah, he's totally right. (laughs) And then you attune and then you can all feel the difference in the moment. That is perfect. It's such good teamwork of helping each other experience pleasure by staying present. And to
2: build on that. In the past, I, I've just re- recently started using Viagra or Cialis. And in the past, when I was doing something like that and I had an erection and I saw her and she wasn't focused. I would very quickly lose my erection because it yep. wasn't there. And by using yep. Viagra Cialis, now while I'm dealing with her to focus on me, <laughs> I'm not ah. losing my erection and I can keep going. And, you know, for those guys out there who are listening, who are saying, ah, I don't need this stuff, I can get a good erection. You know, we all have these mental issues where we go wandering and all of a sudden your cock's down and she's like, well, I'm not, why am I not there and helping you and being sexy and my cock's be- and, and and getting your cock hard, and all of a sudden it starts a downhill spiral of, you know, everything going wrong. So you know, um, these enhancements that are out there, especially as we age, are good to keep the intimacy and the relationship and the sexuality going.
1: Yeah, and I—that's a, a perfect example of how you described it. That we we get caught in our heads because mm-hmm. we care what our partners are doing <laughs> and what they're thinking, even if they. They love what's going on and they love us. Again, we can all get distracted. And then, right, like you said, it can cause a downward spiral then. And then often if that happens between couples, like we don't, we don't have the wherewithal to to notice exactly what's happening. And then we don't have the words to be able to handle it. And it hurts so much. And we just want to retreat emotionally. And couples start drifting apart that way, and then can avoid sexual encounters with each other. Yeah,
0: exactly. And one of our next topics that we wanted to bring up was about intimacy. And it would be actually a good time to talk about it now is that the intimacy part is so important in our relationship, that we don't want this to drift apart, we want to stay intimate and keep the intimacy. So talk a little bit about what happens when we lose that intimacy?
1: Yeah, well, and I use the word intimacy, like in a big picture way when I use that term. So intimacy to me is, is is holistic. So it's, it's physical, mental, emotional, social, potentially spiritual. So um, and that is, I mean, certainly we can have, you know, sexual experiences that can be amazing sexual experiences in terms of pleasure, but they don't really have, quote, unquote, intimacy, like they don't have emotional intimacy, mental intimacy. Um, They're not about, uh, you know, about emotional trust and opening up and vulnerability and communication, like everything you guys are talking about. So it can then I mean, if you're, you know, if you're if you're doing a one night stand or if you're doing a hookup or, um, you know, something like that, that may be totally fine. And what you're looking for, you don't want to emotionally connect with this person that you don't know that well. Um, and so, but in our long-term relationships, generally we want that, that mix of things. And if we're not getting it, it, um, we often start to, we start to put walls of protection up and then it's hard then for that, not to infiltrate into other areas of not trusting your partner. especially if you are the higher desire person and sex is a way that you really feel seen and known and desired and valued. Um, if you're, if it feels like your partner is never present in a sexual encounter, if you don't feel like you have that emotional intimacy aspect of it, um, it's hard not to take that as feeling rejected Mm -hmm. or not wanted, even though you're going through the act of things. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And those are places like in a sexual act isn't the best place to have those conversations for most folks, just because most of us aren't skilled in it. (laughs) So it's, uh, you know, it's building skills in that outside the bedroom and then applying it to sexual conversations outside the bedroom, and then eventually applying it uh, within the bedroom.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, you recently wrote a blog about how you might be undermining your own relationship. Mm. And I'm sure these are the kind of things that happen that you do maybe subconsciously, or maybe you do it to get back at somebody. But tell us a little bit about how we can actually not do those things that might undermine. our Yeah,
1: well, yeah. And the, the point of the blog, I was talking about how conflict is actually helpful. In most, Couples in relationships, we we need to have the courage to address topics that we know can bring up conflict um, and differences of opinions and and feel really uncomfortable. Because if we don't, uh, right, we drift apart from our partners. Um, And so I was, you know, talking about the need to have regular check-ins once a week, once a month um, around your needs, your wants, your desires, your goals, your dreams. So, you, you know, we're talking sexual needs and emotional needs, but also social needs, spiritual needs and this big picture fulfillment. Now, those don't have to be every week, but if, but make sure they're happening, you know, throughout a year. And so make sure and that you're not brushing these difficult, uncomfortable topics under the rug. And especially if you normalize like, OK, uh, every Sunday night, we're going to have a 15 to 20 minute conversation. Uh, about these topics. We're going to choose the ones that most matter to us. We're not fixing anything right Mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm. but that means you're never brushing it under the rug. You're never avoiding it. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, we're going to come back next week at the same time. We're going to continue these conversations and then we'll see what we can put in place in between to address them. So that way you don't get 10 years down the road and be like, oh shit, how did we get here? Yeah, Like I am, we are so far apart. And you know, when I see folks in coaching that show up like that, we have to undo all of the hurt in the past 10 years <laughs> and then get to the underlying issues that started it in the first place.
0: Yeah. And sometimes that so, they're not even repairable. Sometimes you just have to move on and know that that's there. It's maybe a scar, but you have to just yeah. look in the other direction and find the happiness somewhere else, perhaps.
1: And that's the thing. Right. And that's up to each uh, couple to realize it. But, but to me, it's like making a conscious decision to do that. Not by not by brushing it in the rug oh, okay, and pretending yeah. it's not mm-hmm. there, and never yeah being with it, because that's the stuff that can rear its head at points, and all of a sudden somebody shows up to their partner and like I'm done, I want a divorce. Yeah. and the person's like, wait, what? Yeah, wait, you, and then they bring up stuff. They're like, we've never talked about this, right? I didn't know this was that serious. So, building skills, you know, a little bit every ideally every day, but every week, every month of addressing these difficult conversations and and creating these these small amounts of time literally with a timer where you both do your best to be not judgmental and not reactive and take brief deep breaths have you know practice what i call generous listening which is through the lens of genuinely understanding and um presume you know good intent from your partner with what they're sharing give them the space to not be perfect in their wording um, this is how we build skills in effective communication. This is how we build emotional resilience by moving towards these uncomfortable topics a little bit at a time and building skills in them.
2: Mm-hmm. You, you know, listening to you, Jen, talk about that is is almost the same thing about like faking an orgasm. You're, you're you're not doing anything to help you, or to help your relationship or to help things get better and you know there's sometimes yeah. and, and we, we live it in the swinging world because when we play with other people they don't know how I like my cock sucked or how Carol likes her pussy licked and you have to tell the person so within your relationship you know Carol and I have great sex so we know each other's bodies really well um, but sometimes we struggle at telling each other how we feel and what our needs are and Um, you know, we, we, we started working on doing exactly what you're saying. And, and I believe all couples, whether it be sexually or emotionally, take that time and talk about it. And like you said, you don't get to two years down the road. And one person says, well, why didn't you tell me?
1: Mm -hmm. I know, like we we could have addressed it. We could have done something. And I think, I think people feel like, I love your, your faking orgasm is a perfect analogy because I think people feel like it's, I mean, it's easier in the moment to fake it and they feel like they're protecting their partner Mm -hmm. and that's so much what we do when we brush topics under the rug of like our needs or our wants or our goals or our dreams because we know that they're contentious in some way or they upset our partner like a lot of people believe that they are protecting their partners but they're really doing though is protecting they're 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 they're, you know they're they're protecting themselves from potential conflict um and uh, and that discomfort all of that those uncomfortable emotions that come with that so and yeah just like faking orgasm you're it's that's not helpful in the long run <laughs> and one thing we've been talking
2: about is it's okay to have sex and no orgasm it's not the ultimate goal sometimes nope. you know guys get yep. over the edge they get too hot the sex is great he doesn't come it's okay you, you, you come back okay. for it another day. And the same thing, sometimes Carol's not there and I can't make her come and she wants to do it with a toy and that's okay as well. You know, sex is from foreplay to after discussion. It's all part of the experience. And um, where so many people are focused on that sticky stuff <laughs> coming out of his cock <laughs> and the crocodile roll orgasm, but sex and sexuality is so much more than that.
1: Uh, yes, yes, that big that big picture. You know, I've 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 drawn pictures before. I just I just did this in one of my talks back in February. I had a couple that came up to me after my talk, and she goes, I keep. She goes, you you know, because I'd mentioned in my talk a couple times. Whether you have an orgasm or you don't have an orgasm, you know, there's pleasure and there's connection. She goes, can you please explain that more to my husband that it's it's okay if I don't have an orgasm that I could still enjoy the encounter, and so I draw you know, I draw, you know, I pulled out a piece of paper and I drew a circle, a small circle that had orgasm in it. And then I had another circle that said, um, you know, emotional closeness. And I had another one that said fun and play. And another one that said stress reduction. And another one that said feeling desired. And I have all of these little circles. And then I, you know, put a big circle around all of it. I go, orgasm is absolutely part of this big picture of a, a good sexual encounter with your partner. But it's just a piece of it. Now, for some people, it's a bigger piece, but there's all these factors that come into play. And just, you know, put put orgasm in a spot like believe her when she says that.
0: Yeah, no, that's very true. And I was telling you earlier that when we traveled for a whole month around Southeast Asia, it was David's birthday during that time. And my gift to him was to have sex with him every day. (laughs) I said, but the definition of sex every day is my definition. It doesn't mean we are going to have penetrative sex only every single day. We had lots of different types of sex the whole trip so that was kind of a fun thing that we did carol had
2: carol had a great (laughs) coach lee jagger who has taught carol the 69 different ways to give a hand job
0: yeah we did lots (laughs) of hand jobs (laughs) yeah i became Uh, very good at it there is
1: there is a true art to giving a good hand job and i feel like that is lost in today's society (laughs) i know because i was i was doing sexual things for a long time without having intercourse so i got really good at hand jobs You know, in my in my early 20s. And so I was like, oh, I feel like it's I feel like it's not appreciated enough. Oh, I <laughs> well, appreciate and i got to
0: tell you that guys actually love it. And in swinger situations, when I get out my lube and I start doing hand jobs, everybody mm-hmm. comes around and says, oh, my God, yes. how did you become an expert in this? I said, well, thank you, Lee Jagger. <laughs> Those courses worked. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. I know. Right. You get a good lube and it's like, oh, there's so much you can do. Like, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. It's very playful. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Wow. This has been a great segment. A lot of fun in all our discussions. Let's just remind everybody that this is a sexy lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're having an amazing discussion with sex coach, intimacy speaker and author, Dr. Jen Gonzalez. Coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters, so don't go away. But now let's just tell everybody about topless travel and the amazing trips that we have planned for next year.
2: Absolutely. And if you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation experiences ever, then you need and absolutely must book with topless travel. From Hedonism 2 in Jamaica, Desire in Cancun, and all the Bliss Cruise adventures, topless travel needs to be your number one choice.
0: Their trips are all about pushing boundaries, exploring your naughty side, and meeting and partying with tons of sexy, fun people. Now let's shout out to all their exclusive sexy host couples, including Party Mark. They are there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation.
2: And you'll find us on lots of the amazing topless travel trips but listen up you know we go to Hedo a lot with them we're going to be back at Hedonism 2 for their sexy silver event from October 21st to 28th 2023 it's going to be a pre-Halloween week-long bash and we'd love for you to come and join us there and new for 2024, listen up. Topless Travel is putting together not one, but two bucket list trips from where we're going to be broadcasting. First, we will be exploring the ancient pyramids of Egypt, followed by a seven-day riverboat cruise down the Nile to Jordan from March 2nd to 13th, 2024.
0: And on the second bucket list trip, we'll be heading to Kenya for an African safari to witness the Great Migration, glamping in the wild savannah from September 2nd to 11th, 2024. 20- 2024. 2024 space is very limited on both of these trips i think they're already sold out by 70 percent. so if you don't want to miss out on these amazing adventures um, with all these other open-minded sexy friends then go and book your spot today and do it before it's too late and for more information about these trips or any of the topless travel events go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the topless travel events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever
2: ever Alrighty, back to the show. You know, this is A Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. And uh, now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because...
0: Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. So now we're going to get into that hot topic that we were talking about earlier, that trending these days is emotional agility. So Dr. Jen, let's start off with what is emotional agility and how do we know when we should actually be doing it?
1: Yeah, so it's a lot of what we've been talking about already. Emotional agility is um, building a skill in noticing your emotions, particularly um, uncomfortable emotions, and learning skills in how to regulate those emotions and making new choices. And so bringing in um, curiosity and studying yourself. And I just, I really, I like the term agility because, you know, generally use the term agility in a physical sense, in an athletic sense. And so what is agility? It's about being in the moment. It's about being skilled. It's about being flexible and adaptable and shift. You know, I'm you know picturing a soccer player, a basketball player. It's, a, it's, it's thinking quick on your feet, but it's like really it's studying in detail quickly and noticing, you know, what's happening for you and what's happening in your environment and being able to be flexible and shift as needed. And I think, you know, again, all of the stuff we've been talking about, so many of us We can get stuck in patterns around our thoughts and around our emotions and how we think about ourselves and how we react to our partners and which topics are okay to talk about in certain ways and which ones aren't. And emotional agility gives us building skills in this, of this mindful awareness we've been talking about, um, gives us access to being able to make new choices and we can train our brains to be more emotionally agile.
0: So when we need to do this, it's within our relationship, and it also applies to actual sexual acts as well when we're feeling uncomfortable in the act itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like what we've been talking about, Sue, you know, there are so many things that feel bad, you know, the most uncomfortable emotions. And I think often people know when they're feeling happy, or they may know they often know when they're feeling sad. Um, They might, they know when they're feeling angry. You know, we have these, these emotions that are sort of bigger and like, you know, more well understood, but there's so many nuanced emotions like shame and embarrassment and disappointment and hurt and um, confusion and even nuances around anxiety. And these things feel, you know, uncomfortable in us. But I think so many folks have, have, have disconnected um, from even, feeling those things, because they feel so bad. And, um, and so when we do that, when we are uncomfortable in some way around our around a topic, we tend to not behave in a way that's productive. So the main things people do, and we've mentioned some of these is that they lash out at somebody, um, and make them wrong for bringing up this topic or show anger towards them, we will emotionally retreat and and pull away, you know, and, and sort of stonewall the other person, Uh, We may change the topic. We may distract ourselves. We may grab our phones. We may, um, you know, literally walk away. Um, Or, uh, you know, folks will make jokes. I see this with my clients all the time. I'll have a a married couple in front of me, a heterosexual couple, and the the wife is going to this very, like, uncomfortable place where she's really sharing and she's starting to tear up. And the husband will make some kind of joke (laughs) because he's uncomfortable. Mm, Yeah. And... And I'm like, no, 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 no! I go just, you know, yeah. I'm like, Stop. I was like, she's in such an amazing place right now because she's having the courage to sit with this discomfort and and go to these darker places and to express it. And so we make jokes to it. Or folks, you know, I see all the time also, if it's not uncommon that something that really is upsetting or difficult to our partners, we just don't understand because it yeah. doesn't seem upsetting or difficult to us. Yeah. So we trivialize it Mm -hmm. or we just we diminish it Mm -hmm. and talk about not wanting to share with your partner then not feeling seen and heard and understood about something that deeply bothers you. But there's so many topics around this, around shame and embarrassment and discomfort around sex and emotions, because, you know, we were all raised in different households with different messages and we have different genetics and personalities. So um, and different experiences and past relationships. So we can't necessarily predict what's going to be triggering to someone else. And so knowing that we all have this, we all have blind spots around emotional agility and places where we're stuck, and we are not agile. I think a lot of people don't even realize there's an opportunity for agility. And so just even plant that seam and normalize be like, hey, any any place you're feeling stuck, Anything you're avoiding, anything that you're brushing under the rug, those are all places that you could bring some skills to and and gain some flexibility and adaptability.
2: Now, we've spoken on many, many shows about mismatched desires. But what if couples have mismatched agility or the ability to be agile? How how do you work through that?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, because in general, I think, you know, we we still in society, you know, girls and women are trained to be more emotionally aware um, than men are. So I do think often, you know, when I'm working with couples, women are coming to the table with more emotional awareness, with more mindfulness, with more nuance around it um, than men are. So, already, you know, there could be a, just a gender. Now that can go, that could go the other way as well, but just in terms of some um, statistical generalizations. So, I, I mean, I think the first place is what I was saying here. know that even if it doesn't make what I'm saying, does it totally make sense? It can bit by bit. I've seen we can train, our we can train ourselves. Um, you know, I have different worksheets and exercises that I use with couples and in my workshops that bit by bit, we could train ourselves to study like, okay, what am I, you know, where am I stuck or what's not being addressed? Like that's a place to start and then say, okay, what are my, what stories am I telling myself about this? What, what does it mean to me? Um, and then I give a whole long list of emotions. What emotions are you actually feeling about this? And when we have a list to look at, that could be helpful. You know, I've had folks that are be like, I'm like, how are you feeling? And he's like uh, angry. And I'm like, what else? He's like frustrated. I'm like anything else. He's like irritated. I was like, okay, We're, <laughs> we got the whole same constellation yeah. of emotions here. And then I give them this whole long emotion sheet and they'll be like, oh, my God, I'm feeling hurt. Oh, I'm feeling a little embarrassed. Oh, I didn't realize, you know, and so when you look at a list, um, then you can help um, learn the the subtlety of different emotions that you've just never been attuned to before and didn't have a name for it or, or didn't know how to be aware of it. And then we can own it. And those motions, and like I said, then, you know, where do you feel it inside of you also? Are you feeling it in your chest? Are you feeling it in your solar plexus, down in your gut, up in your shoulders, in your in your neck? Like, where is it showing up um, inside your body in terms of tension or discomfort? Um, and so just breaking apart those pieces of something that otherwise, you know, your topic, your, your your partner says something that's uncomfortable to you, and within a half second, you've been triggered and you're off to the races with whatever your pattern is. By stepping back, and maybe not in that moment, but later on reflecting and being like, oh, what happened there? Be curious, be kind, go through a process like this, and then ask yourself – and then, you know, be kind, pat yourself on the back, <laughs> like, because you're, you're trying to do something different. And then ask, okay, what one thing can I do differently now than what my pattern – you know, um, indicates, I just had somebody share like two weeks ago or something when they were doing this worksheet, um, that, that their, their partner, you know, was awake and then they couldn't sleep. And so they left to do some work and then they were, they just had a lot of angst and stuff and they worked through the thing and they're like, Oh, my, my pattern is to just fall asleep somewhere else, but I'm going to go back to my partner in bed right now. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to do something different and actually reconnect with my partner. And their partner actually said, he's like, well, hey, oh, you you came back to bed. <laughs> what's going on? And she's like, I'm trying something different here. Uh-huh. So there's so many little ways that we can try something different, but we can't even get to that place until we've pulled apart the pieces of, w- of what's going on here, what's actually happening in this moment and w- what's so uncomfortable that I'm being triggered.
2: Now, I would say in a lot of relationships, one person is a better communicator than the other and good communicator is a good speaker and a good listener, but what if in a relationship there's one person and they think their relationship is great, they think their sex life is great, (laughs) but they can't just sit there and have this, this open and honest communication with their partner about not being agile, not having this desire, and without going for help and mediation and stuff like that, how does the person who's the good communicator get the other person to just be a little bit better?
1: I mean, I'm going to say again, like those, those small amounts of time, because I've had, you know, when I've worked with couples and I'll have somebody super high desire and somebody really low desire and somebody who doesn't even want to talk about sex topics, they're tired of trying, they don't want to do it. It doesn't feel that good. And what I started having them do was this, what I'd mentioned before of those like Sunday evening check-ins. And so, you know, for, for 15 minutes, every Sunday evening, you're going to talk about these topics. And so, and that to me is just come to your partner and be like, I know this doesn't matter as much to you as it does to me. You know it really matters to me. It's part of how I'm wired. It's part of how I connect. It's part of how I move through the world and what matters. And then, you know, and be clear, like, I'm not making you wrong that you don't move through the world in that way. But, like, I, I want us to be well-bought. I want us to be strong. You know, I-, I want us to be strong. And for me, I need us to be able to start talking about these topics and normalize them. I'm not asking you to change anything right now. I'm not asking you to act in any different way, but can we start creating these little spaces, these 15, 20 minutes, I'll even set a timer, um, and you know, and and come and then brainstorm on a list of questions. Um, I mean, this is the type of things like I do with clients, but also, you know, there's there's worksheets you can it just Google stuff online, you know, and you can find a list of questions. Yeah and then and then ask. You know, let's let's do our best to be really kind to each other. But I don't know, right? If you're with a partner who then you come in such a responsible way like this, and you're asking, you're basically asking for their emotional discomfort and their willingness to show up in that way, and they shoot you down. Like, mm, that's tough. You, you, and you got to reflect on do you need to stay in this relationship? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, because mm-hmm. this is somebody whose fears and hurts and, and um, past experiences um, with you or with others is so getting in the way, and it's not going to change. Yeah. It's not going to change unless something's drastic done. That to me is when you really do need to see a counselor or a therapist. Um, or, I mean, that's what happens often at that point is that somebody goes and cheats, uh, you know, yeah. and they go. And whether it's emotional cheating or sexual cheating, they um, get their emotional, sexual needs met through someone else. And that then can be the wake up call. That then, guys, you know, I've seen that happen multiple times that the person's like, OK, we need to go to counseling now. <laughs> whatever. And I was like, hmm, yeah. So, I get this shit's hard. It's really hard and it's uncomfortable. But if you love your partner and respect your partner, um, you need to commit to working on it, even when it's hard and uncomfortable, and then and figuring out new ways to address these topics, even if it felt like it hasn't worked before.
0: I know when David and I have an argument, uh, usually it's heated and we usually say things that we regret, of course, we wish we could mm. take back. But I have a hard time talking about it like why was i triggered or how did that trigger him or wh- mm. wh- what actually went wrong until i've really cooled off for me it takes yep. a while and then yeah. i can i can listen uh, maybe emotionally maybe um you know be productive listening as to what actually went on let's reconstruct the situation and how yeah. not to let that happen again but it takes a while and in that time between it you know the incident or the argument and the resolution of it it feels so crappy it's so uh-huh. bad inside that you're not connected yeah. or you have an issue that you don't really want it to last long and so i was really curious about your topic today because i would love to be able to resolve those types of issues yeah. immediately not you know maybe not yeah. in the same second but okay right. let's take a walk hold our hands say nothing and then come back and address it like i would love to do something different like that
1: yeah yes so there's a lot in what you just shared there i mean one of them is Um, We do. We get uh, we can get emotionally flooded where then we say things that we regret. And I think the most important thing to do is know, like, okay, this is what happens to my brain and my emotions. And to be able to step away before you get to that point and that you're saying the things that you regret and that you have to undo afterwards. So that's um, and, and folks have different set points around emotional flooding. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I th- yeah, I think the most important thing is to realize, and we can w- realize this through sensations. Sometimes people have talked about they can feel like a growing warmth up their neck up to their ears. Uh. Um, that they can feel, um, you know, attention in their chest. They can feel all of their muscles getting tighter. Like th- that's where like uh, the wisdom of our body. If we can study that. I mean, just enough nuance, because I know it can feel like we go from zero to 60. But when we start practicing mindfulness at that level, we can realize, oh, there's a whole bunch of little nuances, Mm -hmm. even if they're only five seconds each before we move on to the next one. There's something to notice there and then to realize, oh, oh, I'm I'm about to hit a tipping point. I got to step away because I don't want to say anything I'm going to regret and say, I'll come back like I'm going to come back when I've cooled off. We're definitely going to address this. I'm not walking away from you. I'm doing this. For my well-being and for our well-being. Um, and then, you know, what you said, I love that piece. If you can, like if because sometimes people, if they're mad at their partner, they don't want touch at all. Yeah, um, you know, that's yeah, me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, OK, OK. And so because and why is that because like it feels too vulnerable? Like I, I don't know why. Yeah, like, you
0: have to look and okay, listen now.
1: That's that's, that's yeah. my guess is that it can feel because I know I could be that way sometimes and it feels if I feel like hurt or disconnected or not hurt or you know, angry, something with my partner. Um, if he was to come up and touch me, it would feel too vulnerable to receive that touch. Mm-hmm. And I want to, and I keep, and I want to keep that wall up mm-hmm. right now. Right now yeah. so, so right now, yes. Um, however, there can be, you know, as that starts to lessen a little bit or um, I mean, sometimes, and it depends, every couple is going to be different, but you know, humor like a little light humor done in the right way. That's like, it's a bid. It's a bid for, to, for, um, uh, for repair. I think that's what John Gottman calls them, you know, the bids, um, the bids for connection, the bids for repair. Um, sometimes that can be helpful. And in the same way that even just, you know, a little walk by and rub on the back, but in no expectation and keep moving on, like something, something to help, you know, um, to, to, to bring that wall down a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, and then, like I said, that process that I said of looking at, okay, what, what just happened there? What what story was I telling? What were my emotions? Where did I feel them inside of me? Be kind to yourself in that process. And then like, okay, what, what can I choose to do differently? Even if it's just a tiny step, you know, in the direction of reconnecting.
0: And I think, uh, well for David and myself, where we actually talked about a a particular argument that we had recently, we made some Suggestions for change. And I think that's also a very good step forward because when you're in the moment, it's so hard to even see yourself. You're like, you're just yeah. a big blind spot. Yes. <laughs> and yes. so it's kind of good if you can kind of agree to make a change together.
2: Just one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Doesn't have to be yeah. lots
2: One. <laughs>
1: at a time. No, It doesn't. Yeah. 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 And I think also because there can be some topics that feel like they keep coming up mm-hmm. and then you can get more and more angry and not feeling heard. And if you put something substantial in place around how to make change in this and then you see little bits of change made, then you can you can loosen your grip on the topic. Yeah. You could be like, oh, we're actually making progress because that's so you know, often folks would be like, why does she keep bringing up the same topic? I'd be like, have you addressed the topic? Uh, yeah. <laughs> have you guys as a couple or you individually actually made sustainable change in this? in a consistent way, because sometimes people will make a change for a week, but they won't, you know, just like a New Year's resolution, they go to the gym for two weeks. And then it wanes, like, mm-hmm. what have you put in place to make sure you keep doing this thing that matters to your partner? Have you put reminders in your phone? Have you put little reminders next to your bed where you wake up in the morning? Have you created little amounts of, of time for structure that you reflect on this every day? Like, that's the only way we make change. And we have the best intents when people say they will. But all of these things get in the way and other life priorities get in the way. And it's just not how our brains work. Our brains won't make change unless we have really uh, baby steps to make and and be intentional and make ourselves accountable. Right. And then do that over several month time period till it starts to become a new habit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Making habits is hard. Wow. That was a very good explanation. I really appreciate the very detail you got into. Thank you. That was really awesome. (laughs) I love it but we are coming to the end of the show and uh, we do want to sign off with some final advice. Let's switch back to our topic about May's masturbation month. And why don't you give <laughs> us some advice on self-pleasuring? So what would you say would be the top two reasons why people should self pleasure, whether alone or with their partner present?
1: Yeah. I mean, we were talking about some of these before, you know, about learning about yourself. Um, so let me take outside the box a little bit more from what I said or about your partner watching you and learning, or priming your own pump if you're the lower desire person. So those are the things I mentioned before. Um, I do think, I mean, I have something called meditative masturbation, like for women, a guided audio file, and also a video that Erica Lust Films had hired me to create. And it's about this idea, especially for women, if they have shame around their bodies and masturbation and around their genitals, about um, slowing down and creating your own seductive environment for yourself. And being mindful and practicing, you know, tapping into your five senses and playing with some lube. And again, there's no, you know, we've talked about, David, you were mentioning there doesn't have to be a goal of orgasm. Like there's not a goal of orgasm. The, orga- the goal is to, to be kind to yourself, to be nurturing to yourself, to view masturbation as, as a nurturing experience and to actually slow down um, and be present with yourself and, and notice the nuances of sensation and desire and arousal and pleasure and so and uh, just like we would create a seductive romantic environment for someone else do that for ourselves with music and candles and creating space like that um not that there isn't a time and place for just like okay want to get one off here <laughs> <laughs> i got five minutes let's do this yeah. uh <laughs> but this is the way you know and it, so it's not reading erotica or looking at porn but just being present with yourself and slowing down i think particularly in today's world that would be invaluable for any person who's raised with pornography being everywhere um, and their phones always in their hands to be able to leave technology aside and be present with your body and paying attention to the nuances of that. So I think it's both. So my two things would be, you know, view masturbation as a a self-nurturing thing um, and also view it as a time to slow down and disconnect from technology and creating some spaces for that um, so we could give our brains a break um, and retrain them on how to be present and how to come up with our own fantasies (laughs) um, and how to attune to ourselves and our pleasure
2: very very cool love it that's an amazing way to end an amazing educational show i know i'm going to be a lot more mindful and try and get rid of all that brain traffic dr jen gonzalez thank you so much for being here sharing all this great information why don't you take a minute and tell everyone how they can find you reach you listen to your podcast
1: yeah yeah. So um, my main hub for things is my main website, drjensden.com. Honestly, folks can just type in any version of spelling of that into Google and you will find me. <laughs> um, and you'll find my Dr. Jen's Den website, which is where I have my podcast, Sex Talk with Clinton. The doc is on there. My book is on there. Um, I did a podcast last fall also called Trying to Feel Sexy Again at 48. It was from the a year before that of this whole you know, seven days of trying to feel sexy and, um, get, you know, again, coming out of COVID and stuff like that. So it's a very, very personal podcast that's on there also plus tons of videos, my two TEDx talks, everything's on there. And, you know, if folks like my approach to stuff, please, please find me on social media, reach out to me, follow me, spread the word, all of that's Dr. Jen's Den also.
0: Beautiful. And of course, if you missed any of that information, you can go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all of their information, and you can even contact them there.
2: Absolutely. And like we did today, we're learning more and more every week with all our great guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at dot All righty. Another awesome show with Dr. Jen Gonzalez. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you. This has been great. I'm already reflecting on how enjoyable this was.
2: <laughs> we love <Thank> it. <laughs> and we will have you back in the near future. And like we do every week, we want to thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out. Just want to invite you to join us again next time for
0: another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always
2: horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I and Jen send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time.